Hey everybody, uh, it's Kyle again, uh, aka Dr. Doomray. I can't believe I used the word aka. Oh god. Um, that's a bad start. Anyway, <laughs> I'm joined by uh, my regular co host, Mr. Toby Rutter. Hello. And um, before, um, you know, before we kind of dive in, um, I'm going to warn people that I started playing Dota uh, as, a, as a response to our earlier conversation uh, last night. And if at any point <clears throat> I go completely off topic and start discussing Dota, Toby is going to be uh, the arbiter of, of podcast Stay on Trackness, which is, is something that I'm not sure you can be an arbiter of, but he's going to be. Uh, and bring oh. us swiftly back on course and not indulge me in Dota conversation, <laughs> will you, sir? I'm, I'll do my best. I'm going to try and save all the data conversation for the games we're going to play after this podcast. <laughs> but um, but no, just in case, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say this quickly. That's probably going to be my catchphrase throughout this entire thing. <laughs> but but um, the one thing that I found which is really, really, really disturbing was um, my, uh, my level of obsession of, of games goes from like zero to like a hundred and there is nothing in between. Uh, I either kind of completely fall in love with the game and can't stop playing it, or I kind of go, meh, it was all right, after an hour, and then never play it ever again. Um, but I um, I was sitting with my wife, eating a muller corner yogurt, and I went, that looks like a Dota map. If, uh, if people in America, I don't know if you get, um, you know, Muller Corner yogurts, but if you don't get them in America or Canada or wherever you're listening, just type in Muller Corner yogurt and it, it actually looks like a Dota map, like genuinely actually does. Um, so, anyway. It's the weirdest tangent. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of embarrassing. Um, so, yeah, so, so the topic of uh, today's podcast is um, summer gaming. Now, um, it's it's not to be confused with Summer Loving, which was which covered... so fast. It did, <laughs> um, and was covered very thoroughly by John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John, so I don't feel we need to go any further into Summer Loving. Um, yeah, we'd, be just, we'd be retreading covered ground. Indeed, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this is... <laughs> I was trying to think of a joke to do with a beach and some lyrics from Great but it doesn't matter. Um, so anyway, so... The, where this, where the kind of inspiration uh, for this came from was um, one of the games that that's kind of on my radar that I've been hearing a lot about in in the office and that I've been looking into a lot um, is is Elite Dangerous, um, and I was talking to uh, Lee, who's one of the uh, directors at the company I work at, um, and he was basically telling me about how the original Elite completely consumed one of his summers when he was younger. Um, and this got us onto the conversation of, of kind of summer holiday gaming. Um, and, you know, now weirdly I'm 27, my wife's a teacher, I have a couple of weeks holidays now, and the first thing I started doing was looking for a game to play um, in, in that time. So it's nice to see that summer holiday gaming, you know, stays with you as long as you're alive. Um, and, you know, I think one of the things that um, that I find really, really quite funny is that games are seen as this... this um, this kind of winter habit for a lot of people, um, and and to me, some of my fondest gaming memories are in that kind of six week summer holiday period where I could really throw myself into a game um, and and invest a lot of time into it. And then what I find really strange is when summer comes along, I have an urge to play those games again, um, which is why I've been <laughs> my fingers been twitching over the World of Warcraft. Uh, 
<laughs> downloader in my, in my uh, the, uh, I assume you've seen the recent cinematic I can't imagine that helped no no it really didn't um, as, as a recovering uh, World of Warcraft addict um, um, every time I see it and then the fact that Duncan Jones is making a film it just gets worse um, <laughs> but no so you know so um, you know so when you think back to your summer holidays <laughs> when you were a child, when three, I was a child, three years ago, three years ago, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, you know, it's, it's slightly longer than that, but not much. Yeah. Um, um, is there anything that really stands out for you? Yeah, I mean, there's, I think there's kind of there's two there's two camps of summer gaming for me, mm. and then there's kind of social summer gaming, and then there's anti-social summer gaming, <laughs> um, and my my anti-social summer gaming has been, I think every Final Fantasy game from about 7 to about 10. Mm. I think each one of those was... I played in a different summer of my kind of school life. Yeah. Um, and that was kind of... I had a summer, and it was a sufficient amount of time to to wake up every day at 7 o'clock in the morning, because I'm one of those people. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm a morning person. Yeah, definitely. And if I wake up at 6, 7 o'clock in the morning, I can have, I can have three or four hours of Final Fantasy before breakfast, mm. and then and then more... Yeah, after breakfast, um, and then the and then the more social side of summer gaming was probably a bit later on. This is PS2 era um, Time Splitters three, oh, uh, the future perfect. And because this was back in the good old days, where there, there were recurring um, topics that will come up on this podcast, and one of them is gaming in the same room, <laughs> gaming in the same room, yeah. screen gaming four play four people on a on a console um, is. You, you know, they, it, someone's eventually going to do bingo for this podcast, and that will be one of the things that whenever we mention someone scores a point. Yeah. Um, and the others will be Final Fantasy, Deus Ex. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those are just from me alone. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so exactly. I, I, had a, I had a group of three friends who were all living in the same, um, in the same street as me. Uh, but we all went to different schools, so the summer holidays was, were an ideal time for everyone to, to get together and game together. Um, and, and Time Splitters was definitely one of the games that we sunk a significant amount of time into. Mm. And it was kind of... Everyone always talks about the, the, the brilliant experience, the multiplayer experience of Goldeneye, which is de- definitely true, N64 Goldeneye. Mm. I sort of missed that a bit. No, uh, it's, it's, it, it's the same devs. Well, was the yeah, same well, devs. That was, that was what I was going to say, is mm. the, the people who developed Time Splitters um, basically took the vast majority of everything that they learned on the Goldeneye sort of multiplayer thing and basically built time splitters around that just at a different studio and so given that I sort of missed the N64 by not getting into consoles and games until a bit later well, so wouldn't you have been five? I would have been really young but I mean, I, I, so one of, my, one of my friends had a had an N64 because he had an older brother mm. so it, you know it, it works out that way whereas I'm the oldest in my uh, of the of children the brothers, of, of the, the clan children um so, so Time Splitters 3 kind of was my sort of Goldeneye multiplayer experience mm. with with four friends, and, and that was that's one of the things I think of when I, when I look back and think of summer gaming right now. Yeah, and, and it's funny because <clears throat> I always think that thing of, um, you know, I, I really miss the idea of getting kind of, uh, you know, four friends together, and because uh, it's a nice number as well. It's, you know, it's, it's that kind it's, of... 
Anyone who says three is the magic number is not quite right. Has never played time splitters. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because it always means that one person gets a larger split screen, and that's exactly. just not cricket. It's um, not just cricket. <laughs> and it also means that one person is likely to be playing with a Mad Cats controller when the other two people have got legitimate, <laughs> legitimate official controllers. And if you've got four, at least two people are sharing the, the shitty third-party controller burden. I always remember, um, with, with Gold and I, um, one, of, one of my friends, Rob, uh, well, my best friend, um, he always had this complaint because I had the worst, honestly. It was called, like, it was called the Shark N64 <laughs> controller. It was one of those kind of hideous kind of... It was did it have a turbo button? If it didn't yeah, have a turbo it did have a turbo button. But it was this horrible blue kind of Fisher-Price-looking thing. And uh, <laughs> all I can remember is Rob incessantly complaining that it had a sticky Z button. And <laughs> that's why he always died, which is probably true. Um, but uh, but no, and, and it's funny because you know you saying about time splitters. I mean, um, kind of kind of summer holiday, um, you know, multiplayer gaming is something that that I kind of you know for me it started with um, past the pad on Mario sixty four um, and you know and kind of Mario Kart on the snares and those kind of things. Um, and then, and then, uh, as time went on, you know, like you say, moved on to uh, time splitters and those kind of things. But, but for me, um, the ultimate um, multiplayer shooter that, that I played was uh, was Halo. Um, mm. That that weirdly, that's an interesting uh, summer summer um, gaming memory. Was my my uh, cousin Nathan um, for the six weeks holidays. I went and stayed with him for kind of like two or three weeks. And my uncle Roger, being the generous, generous man he was, um, went out and bought Nathan an Xbox with Halo. And I just remember... And he done something wrong. No, no, no. <laughs> what has Roger done? He's just a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> he'd, he'd like sold off his entire his entire future. Damn. Um, but no, it was... Um, it was it, I just remember sitting and playing Halo for like headache-inducing amount of time, um, and you know the, the the interesting thing about Halo was that for me was a co-op game more than more than a competitive game. Mm. Um, but yeah, and and you know the multiplayer multiplayer kind of summer gaming was something that went all the way through to my kind of late teens. I remember being in sixth form and we had um, a Pro Evolution Soccer League with me and three other uh, lads that I went to, went to a, a kind of um, well, they were friends of mine from uh, like a friend of mine from sixth form, um, and um, I just remember this league becoming more and more convoluted in its rules. So, like, if if you finished first, you got no transfers, but if you finished last, you got three transfers, and you know the the transfers were. Where kind of you couldn't sign the best player in a top four team, but you could sign the best. It was just ridiculous. Like it was absolutely obscene. And then by the end of like season five, none of the teams in any way vaguely um, looked like the actual real world counterparts. Um, but you know, I think, and it's something I, I really miss is is that idea of kind of the local multiplayer. Um, but then weirdly. Um, one of the best kind of social gaming experiences I had was um, was Warcraft um, because um, I had World of Warcraft, so this would have been 
summer 2006 and I my mum and dad went away for like four weeks as they always did so I just had loads of people staying at my house all the time and we um we all just kind of we had this character um that we'd made and we just kind of took it in shifts to to level this character um who was who was that's a, probably quite a clever way to approach warcraft when you look at the number of hours that it requires exactly. sharing the burden across 30 people probably does make it slightly easier well he was he was a tower on fury warrior who uh just uh, basically um it took like four people six weeks to level up <laughs> um, and when you think, when I think back, you know, it was quite an ingenious way of doing it because then at the end of the summer they all went back to their houses and I had a level sixty. So uh, who's laughing now? <laughs> <laughs> and they went back to their lives. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But um, but no, and I think you know the the really kind of interesting thing that you that you touched on there with the with the Final Fantasy games, which for me, you know, Final Fantasy VII will always be the the summer of 1998, um, which was um, no 1999, because um, I was I just finished my first year of secondary school, and that game. Oh, this is going to be another that we always talk about. We always talk we always about, about it. yeah. But well, it's um, <laughs> it always turns into my like. I really enjoyed these games, mainly up until they started putting voice acting in them, and then they started <laughs> becoming just whiny and. Yeah. And then when they removed the gameplay in thirteen, I was I was a bit gutted about that. <laughs> yeah, there, there was something um, really really annoying about a seventy hour cutscene. It was yeah. like it was like it was directed by Kojima, <laughs> 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 but, but without without the badassery. Um, but no, I mean because because the one interesting uh, aspect of kind of a lot of my summer gaming was uh, I used to go and big road trips with my with my mum and dad uh, around Europe for six weeks camping and uh, and exploring and going on adventures so one you know one of my big things when I was a kid was portable gaming and I I loved portable gaming and still do um, I you know I can't I can't imagine my life without a Nintendo handheld um, yeah I think the Game Boy Color was actually the first the first games platform I ever had mm. Um, great console. Yeah, I'm trying to think what my, what my most my most played things on that were. Well, I think it's probably if it's not Zelda or Pokemon, I'll... I think it's probably Pokemon by quite a long Pokemon Red by quite a long way on on the Game Boy Color anyway. Oh, you were a Red um, man, really? Hmm. Yeah, I was a Pokemon Red. I was Pokemon Blue. Where were we then? We could have traded. Oh. Uh, I'd have been Warwick, <laughs> and, <laughs> probably... I'd have, and I'd have been in Middlesbrough. Yeah. Oh, do you remember the days when you had to have like that, that cable that you had to buy in order to trade? The transfer cable. <laughs> the transfer yeah. cable. Yeah. yeah. When I think of the things I carried with my Game Boy, I had like my transfer cable, I had the Game Boy camera, I had that I even had the printer that was do you remember the printer? <laughs> yeah. I never was, had one of those. This little never... receipt machine yeah. <laughs> that was just really surreal. Um and I remember being amazed that like, you know, this was the future. Everybody would have these tiny, these tiny little receipt printers that would, that would in a really strange Polaroid-like manner. The Polaroid had been around for quite some time by this point, and was significantly better. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was like, yay! Finally, I can recreate my two-toned pixelated images onto really cheap 
non-durable paper. <laughs> <laughs> it was a it was a strange one, but you know who's laughing? Nintendo probably made money out of it. But um, yeah, <laughs> no, you know, Pokemon. I think the um, you know, I mean, it's funny because I I was. Uh, listening back to our soundtrack episode a, a little while ago and we touched on Pokemon and um, just that is the sound of a quite significant proportion of my youth um, but it's, uh, um, no, it's, uh, and I think the interesting thing about Pokemon that, that I kind of really love is it's set in kind of a summer world yeah there's no yeah, when you look at Pokemon, you do instantly think summer, don't you? There's no mm. other seasons that really come to mind. And it's weird, because seasonal gaming is something I believe very much in. So it's mm. like, um, I, I got a new laptop the other day, and I was, uh, the first thing I did, because I'll probably be, the, it'll probably be the first thing I do on every PC I own for like the next, till I'm dead years, um, it, it was loaded Skyrim with all my mods and went, ooh, how well does it play Skyrim? Even though Skyrim is like the least graphical demanding game, it's still... Yeah, one I don't know many people that benchmark their PC <laughs> on Skyrim. <laughs> exactly. It's like, um, you, and the funny thing is, is it's quite an ugly game. Done very stylistically, but it's quite ugly. Um, like, the, unless, unless you mod it with kind of textures and all that kind of stuff. But, um... It's funny because to me that is a winter game. Like I really, yes. so I, I tried to kind of sit and play it, and I just couldn't do it because the you know the world it's set in. Even though there's there's kind of autumnal sections, it's very much a wintry world. Um, yeah, and I really really struggle to to play games like that in the summer. Um, and I think as well, you know, the the one interesting thing is is that you know now the the interesting switch that that I kind of see in the games industry that's really weird, is summer seems to be now a it's time... It's kind of the dead zone for industry kind of releases and things. But the weird thing is is that... So summer is a, is a time that I think of investing huge amounts of time into a game. And the thing that I find really interesting, like recently, well, I say recently, but over, you know, since kind of mid PS3 era through to now is that all the games released in the summer now tend to be these kind of 10 hour very short very linear games that are over very quickly you know like your, like your Metal Gear 4s and those kind of things where they're not these kind of huge time sync games um, and I found it really weird that, that kind of during the period where people have the most time to play games um, that the, the game, you know, the, the kind of development cycle, kind of, you know, that's that, that well, the, the, not the development cycle, but the release cycle kind of slows down. Um, and then they cram everything into November and February. Um, I think it's probably proportional, like, it is definitely to do with the proportionality of the, the game size. Because if you're making a huge game of contents going into this, like man hours, probably a bigger, a, a bigger financial, you know, uh, like pressure is being weighed on you to, to mm. we need to sell more because it's cost us more mm. unless you've got some kind of genius thing where you can make a bigger game for less money um, and then that's why everyone seems to default to the run up to Christmas as their as their big this is what we want stuff to be releasing so we can capitalise on Christmas well weirdly now because uh, <clears throat> it's really strange because November was always kind of the big the big launch yeah. time until kind of everybody started avoiding COD Everybody was mm. kind of like, oh, you know, don't don't be seen around COD. Um, 
And then <laughs> there, was, there was Skyrim, which was released on the 11th of the 11th 11, which was clearly, clearly just picked. That was kind of like, that's my production method, where I pick a, I pick a release date I like the sound of and go, we'll release what we can then. Um, <laughs> and then make all the production justifications to, to hit that date. Um, yeah, of course. But, um, <laughs> it's called the Kyle methodology. I've written a book on it. Um, but, um, it's a really some, short book. <laughs> yeah. Pick a date. Throw dart at calendar. Pick best date near dart. Um, but um, no, and it's funny because November seemed to be kind of the big time. And then now, weirdly, February, March seems to be like the really big time to launch a game. Um, kind of late February, early March. Um, I think, like you say, it's through people sort of shifting away from these these times when loads of games were being released. Like, mm-hmm. oh, we don't want to have that much competition. Let's spread out. And it means that eventually people might start actually releasing games in the summer again, <laughs> which would be nice. Because I can see the reasoning behind, oh, let's try and release, you know, near the biggest commercial holiday of the year. But by the same token, why not release when no one else is releasing games when yeah, you have a potentially more captive audience? Yeah, and, and um, the thing is, is that what's so strange about it as well is, you know, especially if your game's aimed at kind of the 11 to 16-year-old market. Yeah, they have the time to play <laughs> your game. Yeah, yeah. It's like, if you, want, if you want to get people playing a game, you know, now's the time to do it. And even more so now, when if we're talking about games which aren't necessarily just constrained to a box product, to like a single pay, like a single pay, and you've got your game. Now there are more things are doing like lower, lower priced, or, or free, and then freemium, or just a, a lower price with microtransactions and stuff. Mm. If you know you've got a period of time when this many people in this market have got the time to spend more of their day playing your game that then increases probably the chance that they're going to want to spend more money in your game. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm firmly against the idea of like completely basing all your decisions around like how can we extract as much money from our consumers as possible, but there's an element of like that's just good decision-making in terms of if we do this, chances are we're probably going to make more money and make more games in the future because we've done well. Yeah. And I think also, you know, that, that weird thing of so, I mean, this is probably a a hot um, a hot topic to just kind of throw in there. But I think the idea of kind of free to play being this this kind of evil you know evil monster that lives in the hills that nobody really knows kind of how to how to do it properly and you know how I think that just doesn't exist anymore. Um, you know, I think well, no, it, it definitely does that that there's the kind of people who use it horrendously, but. Um, yeah. You know, I don't think in terms of that huge, you know, I'm thinking there was always that thing of like, oh, hardcore gamers will never play a free-to-play game. Like I always remember yeah. that kind of being a thing banded around, um, which, you know, I think the internationals beg to differ. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think if you're kind of looking at a free-to-play launch or like, a, you know, the kind of more service-based um you know, yeah, a service-based game, which which are becoming more popular. I mean, like, give us a year, and I think Destiny will have already proven within the first year of their embarking on this service-based game that they want to build that this is a very different and also viable method of making a game that's possibly more suited to how the industry is currently sitting. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm just going to throw it out there, Tobe. If you give me 500 million, I'll I'll make you a service-based game that. <laughs> oh yeah, no, of course they've got. You know, they have the either the that or I'd buy an island and you'd never see me again. Um, but you know, it's a risk worth taking. <laughs> but no, I, I, you know, I know, I know what you mean, and it is it is that thing of I think, <clears throat> you know, at the, the minute there, it's it's so hard to um, to make yourself stick out in in the games industry you know so often these days there's you know i mean let's face it the, the games market is horrendously saturated and i think more and more often now you know i remember having a uh, conversation um with uh, have you ever heard of oscar clark the name is familiar to me <laughs> the, name, the name is familiar to me but nothing else is um, so Oscar Clarke was a was a chap that I um, met out in um, in Kiev. And oh, it was um, the camera connect. Yes, and uh, I instantly fell in love with him. What a lovely, lovely man! Um, but um, he um, he's um, he essentially argued with you know the point of uh, essentially. The idea of not making a free-to-play game now is is ridiculous for particular types of games, and he's actually just uh, written a book um, that he's uh, that I know he took out to Gamescom, and uh, it promptly sold out, uh, which was Games as a Service. Um, so it's a little plug there, um, but no, and and um, you know one of the things that he was saying was for for a lot of games that kind of service based freemium idea just makes complete sense, and you know why you'd think of not doing that out of fear of offending, um, you know, a, an audience is strange because what you know he was saying much the same as you were this idea of releasing to try and extract as much cash as possible in as short a window as possible is is a bad plan because essentially people are people are kind of very savvy to yeah, they're, uh, they're wise to it. Yeah, and, and especially hardcore gamers. Yeah. Whereas weirdly, like if you look at something like uh well, Dota, uh Team Fortress, those kind of games, they are games that you know, Team Fortress Two, so that was released with the Orange, the Orange Box, Box in two thousand and seven. And is still you know, a hugely popular game. I mean, I dread to think how many kind of unique players they have these these days. Um, but that's something that, I mean, I don't think it was necessarily intended in, in, that, in kind of that service idea. I think it's something that evolved, evolved into it more than anything. Yeah, yeah definitely. I think that, that there were some really good interviews with Robert Walker talking about, you know, what do you think about where Team Fortress has gone and... Mm. And I think in the way he, and what do you think? It was that's what. Do, what do you think was the most successful update they did for for Team Fortress? Um, and his response was, I find that really hard to to decide because um, Team Fortress changed what it was going to be and what we wanted it to be. Changed at the initial release was very different. What we wanted it to be and what we were what we were working towards completing is a very different game to what we then were working to complete with this update and then this update and then with the free-to-play update when when Team Fortress shift, shifted completely to being a free-to-play game as opposed to just being a quite cheap game with some microtransactions mm. shifting completely out of that, mod, that, that mode of sort of maximum accessibility and then a service uh, along, you know, with service with all these free updates and 
um, and microtransactions. And, and that's really interesting that it, it allowed it to have a more organic growth. Mm. And all of their decisions were based around, well, not about how can we extract as much money, but how can we get people playing it yeah. for as because, long as possible. Because ultimately, and I think, you know, that's, I mean, we're, we're slightly off topic here, but I think it's something worth, worth going into, is that ultimately the single best way to make money from your game is to make people play the game. <laughs> it's, and, I, and I know that sounds daft, but the more... That there is people, no secret. No, no, exactly. <laughs> but it's like, you know, pe- people are kind of like, well, how can we encourage the 11 to 14 demographic to, you know, put as much money as we can into it? And it's just like, we'll just make them play the thing. Like, if, if people are playing something, they will pay for it. And weirdly, the more they the more they play the more they play, the more open to paying larger amounts of money they are. Now, the 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 interesting thing about that, and they do that out of choice as well. They mm. they will do that because they will they will go, well, you know, you've given me a lot of value here. I feel I should give you something for that. And yeah. you know, I think the the uh, ultimate example of that, which we touched on in a previous um, in a previous conversation but was was the compendium and you know what they're what they're doing with that i mean when you think that so i I can't remember when dota dota 2 when because it was in beta for so long (laughs) it was it was in beta for real time then it was into a paid early access beta that you could get into early if you wanted yeah as well as and then it went into with a game like that they had to they had to just scope you know build it up over a whole period of time yeah but you know, and I think, well, I think it came out in 2013 finally in yes, terms of kind yeah, of a proper did. launch. But then when you think, you know, so a year, a solid year after they launched, they raised nine million quid. That's that's pretty significant. There's not many games that you know, and that old kind of answer of just slapping a DLC on, uh, I think people are people are kind of tired of now. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, and so. You know, I think it, it's one thing that I, I find really interesting is how how now the um, you know the the that kind of so the summer holiday gaming that, that that idea of kind of locking yourself away in your room like you say you know getting up at seven and getting gaming um, <clears throat> the majority from from what I can see and from what I hear through the games I play you know the majority of kind of um, you know kids who were kind of school age just seem to be playing Call of Duty and annoying me and killing me um, so. <laughs> but then that's probably because like I said my, my social my social gaming multiplayer gaming of my sort of school years was was time business and I think that, that's what Call of Duty is to people of to people who are at the end of their school years and like going to sick form and stuff that's that's probably the game at the moment that is filling that you know that role and but where's the comedy well, yeah, that's one thing I think is pretty tragic because the thing I loved about Time Splitters was was the humour and the, yeah. and I, I know that we had so much fun. You know, even if we were playing against, you don't need to be on sixteen v sixteen server maps. We were, we were quite happy playing on maps where it was literally just the four of us, no AI. Yeah, and being able to just do games like that, where the only weapon you had was dual flare guns. Yeah, a, a weapon that is unbelievably difficult to hit people with, but at the same time completely satisfying when you do set them on fire and they explode. And I think, you know, that's... So that's... that's there's, something to, there's something brilliant about that. Yeah, and it was like you could use slaps on Goldmine, which was yeah. amazing. But I think, you know, 
it's something that I think you know why why Team Fortress Two has lasted as long as it has is it has that sense of humor, has that light, you know. So essentially, it is a game about me running around shooting people in the head. But I have this thing where um, (laughs) I remember essentially. So I haven't bought a Call of Duty game in quite quite a while. Um, But I I remember saying to Sarah, she's you know, Call of Duty came out and and she said, uh, "You know, you're going to get Call of Duty this year." And I just went, "No, I'm just sick of looking at brown things." (laughs) <laughs> it's just it's true and it's that weird thing of it's so serious like it's and it's it's another thing that really endeared me really quickly to Dota was it has a sense of humour it mocks itself you know it has an announcer that that um, that says lots of silly things it's got the Unreal Tournament announcer yeah, like, yeah. It, that, that is a nostalgia factor for so many gamers the Unreal yeah. Tournament announcer and um, you know when, it, it, and if you've never heard the Unreal Tournament announcer go "killing spree," then wicked sick. You haven't, you haven't really lived. Although I did realise how much he sounds like Carl Urban's Judge Dredd. He does a lot, <laughs> <laughs> a huge amount actually. <laughs> but um, that's so appropriate, really. Yeah, no. If you're going to sound like someone, um, <laughs> but yeah. So, and I think that's something as well that that I feel. You know, so maybe that, that that's kind of two things that I feel summer gaming has lost uh, is is local multiplayer and a sense of humour, um, and I think you know a lot of that is down to, I mean, when you and I were growing up, um, games were pretty niche. That you know, I, yeah. I mean, I remember it was weird. Like I remember my kind of being a gamer uh, in terms of a computer gamer got the reaction that me now saying I play D&D has um, it's yeah, kind being, of that. being a PC gamer was quite I mean I, yeah I wasn't a PC gamer during my, during my teens so I didn't have that money um, <laughs> on the computers mm. but yeah it was that kind of that was a really niche kind of they were the niche gaming gaming people yeah yeah and gaming itself like you say wasn't that was nowhere near as mainstream as it is nowadays no I mean the idea, so the, the idea of people queuing round the block at midnight for a game, for a console, like people did it for consoles. Like I remember yeah, saying, that was kind of you were talking footage and you know that kind of stuff. But this I is every couple of years, and it's a yeah. But you know, this is like a regular occurrence now. And yeah, you know, um, I mean, I don't. Again, I think it's kind of dying out the midnight launch idea because I think. Um, it was, it was one of those things where, to me, the the idea of pre-ordering something digitally, it downloads automatically to your rig, and then at you know midnight you just get playing. Um, yeah, there's a convenience thing that you just can't. That's standing on a cold street corner in November waiting for a, a store to open. Yeah, although saying that, um, I remember working the GTA Four launch, which I believe was in a March. Of 2008, maybe. Um, you, you get, should we Google it? Should we? Should we? Should we see? We it? Or we can, or we can play the game of see how right Kyle was when we get <laughs> correct. <laughs> when yeah. we get corrected after the fact that no, you idiot, it was 2009. Okay, so I'm <laughs> I'm throwing it out that it was March 2008. Um, but I remember working at Game Station and um, there being a queue of like 150 people outside of Game. And I just went down and uh, 
basically managed to convince all of them to come to Game Station because I was playing hip hop, <laughs> uh, which which was kind of awesome. Um, and then Domino's turned up and gave everyone pizza, double trouble. Um, yes, yeah, so that was kind of awesome. But yeah, so I, I think you know the 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 idea of um, the sense of humour in gaming. You know, I think maybe that that was something that was there. Because there was a very particular sense of humour that you could appeal to. Um, this is true. And I think now, you know, it's more about kind of how do we get as many people as possible. And again, I think it's it, it's a weird decision. So studios tend to go kind of a couple of ways. And it's, I think it's one thing that Valve do really well. Is Valve say, we're going to make a game that a particular type of person will love not everyone will, but a particular type of person will become obsessed with this game and will invest in it both financially, both in terms of, the, you know, or in terms it's of their time. time. Yeah. And, you know, I, I really admire companies that basically say, like, you know, Blizzard are amazing at it. Um, yeah, and they, yes, they make games for people who like Blizzard games. Yeah, and they're, they're, they're just, unapologetic they're about all, it. Yeah. You know, it won't appeal to everyone, but that's no. who they're making it for. And, and I, I admire studios that do that far more. And you know, I think that you know, so I find it quite interesting that obviously uh, Respawn, the guys that did uh, Titanfall, arguably that's the best Call of Duty game I've ever played. Um, <laughs> you know, because it was because it is aiming at it. They know they want that audience of yeah, first shooter player, and it was also made by. Pretty much the entire Call of Duty. Yeah, they're very familiar with the. Uh... <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, and, and I think it was because they went right. Well, we want to make we want to make the game that the people who really love this type of game want to play. Um, instead of saying, you know, oh well, let's get as many people. You know, let's not get Eminem on the soundtrack. Let's just let's just kind of make the game that that you know we want. But to me, more you know, Valve are a better example of that. Blizzard are a better example of that. Bethesda are a better example of that. And obviously you get these kind of breakout successes of, of games like Skyrim, where, I, I mean, Skyrim is still one of those games that I have conversations with people at parties, and I'm like, you played Skyrim? Are you serious? <laughs> like, you know, the guy doing a Jaeger bomb off, off my car bonnet. And it's just like, wow, gaming really has moved on. <laughs> um, um, you know, as he high-fives me and does a keg stand. Um, but it's, and, the, and the guy could obviously lift. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, oh, I was I was informed of the idea of programming. Oh my god, um, which made me slightly sick inside. Um, yeah, but um, but no, so that's completely off topic. But yeah, so so you know, and and I think it's 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 amazing how how much gaming has progressed and changed and you know um you know i think in in many ways for the better but in in other ways not so much but i think it's where kind of indie games seem to be uh kind of plugging that hole of the, yeah. the kind of sense of humor gap as it were yeah definitely and also because i think indie games by sort of nature tend to embrace the more niche like aiming for niche audiences mm. which means because they know their audience they they can aim aim humor at their audience because yeah. that's the that's the, that's the reason why humor gets dropped from games that are trying to go increasingly mass market and be a very global game is that global humor differs so much. There isn't very much humor that is is globally understood and found funny. Mm. What 
we find funny in the UK things laced with sarcasm and satire just sometimes just doesn't doesn't hit a spot in other countries and things like that. So that's where, where I think that the indie indie games are, are better suited because they're inherently going for small audiences. Yeah, but, and, and and I think also they um, well essentially they are funded by the teams that make them more often than not. So yeah. so the risk is theirs to take or, or the you know the And as a result they put more of themselves in and you get more of a sense of what the developer found funny actually. Mm. If you look at Fists of Awesome, it's pretty clear that Nikon loves and finds hilarious the idea of men in played lumberjack shirts punching bears and deers in the face. And, and who wouldn't? Uh, but, exactly. but, you know, but I think as well, you know, um, hopefully uh, this week we're going to be getting an interview with uh, with with uh, Ollie Clark from um, yes, from, um, Modern Dream. From, yeah, from Modern Dream, who was at Gamescom this this week. But I, I think we're going to well last week. But I think we'll be getting an interview with him. Um, and the, the nice thing about his game LA Cops is that it has a genuine kind of sense of humour and and a, and a warmth about the kind of late seventies, early eighties uh, cop shows. And there are so many references in there that if you do not know that world of kind of TJ Hooker and Miami Vice and those kind of things, they'll they'll just be lost on you. Um, but I, I like the fact that you know, first, well, <laughs> let's face it, LA Cops is it is punishingly difficult, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is which is awesome, and I you know I really enjoy it. But you know that that, that to me has has a lot of um, that kind of old school summer game. You know, yeah, kind of vibe where it's, kind it's of got like, a very summery feel to it. Like when you talk about when we mentioned the Pokemon has a sort of feel of being summery. Mm. LA Cops is thoroughly a summer game. Like it feels very summery and it just its mood. Mm. It's it, this isn't a dark, gritty middle of winter game. No, no, and 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 I think you know. So, so to me, you know, other kind of really, you know. Games that I consider are are very summary games in terms of you know, and, and I think you get it with films, you get it with music, you know, that you that you get these kind of moods. But for me, the the kind of two ultimate ultimate summer games that I that I think of as <clears throat> as games that I can't imagine playing at any of the time kind of thing is um, Fable, the original Fable on the Xbox. Um, which I absolutely adored um, and bought in probably the May um, of 2005 so that was kind of the year after it came out um, and then the other one would be uh, Ocarina of Time oh yes lord I love that game <laughs> but, see I think it's interesting because if I was if I was in a position where I was designing I was designing a game and it all Running a, running a studio that's done a game, I think it'd be a really interesting thing to kind of t- t- to aim to make a summer game mm. and to make something that is, because um, one of the definitely when I was when I was gaming in my kind of late mid to late teens, it, it was seen as this like, it was that waste of a summer because you weren't you weren't outside when it was sunny, but summers were all about doing social things with people, and so it'd be, it'd be I think it'd be a great fun to design a game themed around. It's going to be a summer game. We're going to be releasing for people to play over the summer. That's yeah, kind of, a kind of local know, multiplayer. Let's, yeah, let's make sure yeah. that, you, that that is that is a social experience. You're you're playing with people that has that. You know, it's a light. You know, we're not talking deep deep story arcs and 
dark moral grey areas. You know, we're talking light-hearted, but talking good, good fun, mm. social summerness. I think I think that's something that it'd be good to see more. more yeah, like you know, you kind of Smash Brothers style game. Smash um, Brothers is another game that I spent a lot of time on the N sixty four version. Oh, who didn't? Who didn't? That game a, was awesome. And you, yeah, you, you you can't get past how that is just such an immediate. Let's just have hilarious, you know, fun by setting the only item that you can become in the level to the the hammer and just. <laughs> The round's going to be over in about 30 seconds, but we're going to have fun. The <laughs> single the single most depressing realisation of this year for me as a gamer is that Nintendo are giving me a version of Smash Brothers that I can put in my bag. That is that <laughs> is a terrifying, terrifying realisation for me because the, the hours that I sank into Smash Brothers was horrifying. Um, you know, the, the, the other one that, that was actually released in summer, I believe in, in May, was uh, The Wind Waker. And if that's not a summer's oh, game, that's, that's, I don't, you know, I don't know what is. It's just kind of oh, that was I think such an astoundingly beautiful game. That's the other thing is you, know, you could you could very easily make a game in your, in your like in your summer game. You, you know, you go for these. We've talked about aesthetics briefly, but things like Wind Waker and things like Team Fortress stuff that doesn't. We were talking about this before the podcast started. The realization that stuff like Team Fortress just doesn't age because of the stylized decision they made when they were designing the art style. Mm. And you know you could do that. You could make that sort of nostalgic summer game. Well, the, the thing just is, age. yeah. If you if you type in like Wind Waker on Google, um, and make sure it's not the HD one because that looks super super crisp. But the the Wind Waker is eleven years old and still looks stunning. Like it still looks absolutely beautiful. And and I think you know. So a, another summer game for me is Okami. Um, I don't know if you've ever played Okami, but I've only played it really briefly. I haven't played it all the way through. Well, I'd argue it's probably the most beautiful-looking game I've ever played. Um, I mean, the the art of book is is almost offensively pretty. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, I think I mean that to me is a, is a fascinating design challenge to to make a social, you know, a kind of social game with that is released for that summer holiday period. You know, I, I just think... And it takes advantage of it. That yeah, those, you know, and embraces it. Yeah, yeah. Embrace the summer game. Um, because at the moment, I feel like, I think one thing that's done to to increase summer gaming has been the Steam Summer Sale. Yeah. It, it really, you know, that's, that's a mile, that's like a calendar thing for, for any Steam gamer. But... Most of the time, it's a time when people are buying games that were released previously and and, yeah. and play, catching up or not managing to catch up, as the case is more. Or, often or buying many, 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 many games that you want and then not play. getting to play them. Yeah. <laughs> but it, you know, it's that kind of it's it's a chance to buy games that we haven't I haven't played yet, and I'll play some of them. But it's all sort of like okay, so it's summer gaming, but it's summer gaming with just games from other times of the year when people haven't had a chance to play them rather than let's try and really tailor something to making a game for summer. Mm. Yeah, and, and uh, I think so often, you know, the um, the thing that I tend to find with um, with the Steam Summer Sale is that, like you say, it's, it's normally people just buying what came out in November that was kind of second and third on their list. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and I think so. The the um, 
there was a game that I played at Comic Con, um, and it was the it was the stand next to us, um, <clears throat> and it was it was really nice because I was talking to the guys who uh, who made it, um, and, I, and I said kind of you know what's what's the thinking behind it, and they literally went oh well um, essentially all all we want to do is kind of we just really want to make um, a, a a Smash Brothers game. That, that you know, that's kind of the idea. Uh, they were called Mandala Studio. I've forgotten the name of their game, which is horrendous. Um, but in my defence, I'd had about four hours sleep. Um, but um, I'll remember it and drop it into the links. But um, it was really nice because they were they were all kind of based around kind of urban vinyl toys, and uh, it was kind of a Smash Brothers style game. And it was it was all multiplayer. And the thing that I found really interesting was. Uh, it was local multiplayer, uh, four player, and the rules changed every kind of ten seconds. Uh, it was it was really really nice, really like a phenomenally well designed game, and I am so gutted that I can't remember the name of it. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to edit this bit so it makes me sound really smart. I'm just going to say it straight away. Anyway, the wonders of editing. Um, but um, the the, uh, the thing that I that I loved was it, it was by far the most popular game there. And, you know, the, the thing that I found so interesting was it was the only game that openly invited four people to sit there and kick crap out of each other for five minutes. Um, and it was just, it was really interesting because they had two units of four and for four days they were just rammed. You know, couldn't move. I, I think that's it though, isn't it? It's like they they people do want to have that experience. Mm. And they just set about going, well, how can we make... You know, because there's... I'm trying to remember which book on Nodology was talking about this, but one of the best ways of creating a game experience that lasts longer is to have it be multiplayer. Mm. Because it makes your life easier as a developer for a number of reasons. Mainly you don't have to write really engaging AI because you just count on other players to make... To, you know, you don't need to make something that mimics human decision making when you can just get a human to do it for you. Yeah. Um, but it also had, especially if you were doing these kind of light-hearted games, it, feuds kind of arise and, and funny moments happen, and and it's things that people will remember. You know, you oh, did you see that last round? Did you see what he did to me? I was going to win, and then he, you know he got the hammer, and I was just gone. <laughs> it is the story of many a Smash Bros. round. Yeah. And those kind of things increases the, the, the social element of the game and it just makes it a really enjoyable experience and, and that's it's nice when people sort of actively make their design decisions based around we just want to make that as opposed to we want to make the most popular shooter ever it, it's 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 a different mindset in what they're aiming to do and but also I think the thing the thing that's really worth saying is that decision is the decision to make a game Yes. In its purest, purest form. Um, and, you know, like, <laughs> this sounds really daft, but, you know, if you look at kind of the oldest board games, you know, like, um, you know, Backgammon, um, Chess, Drafts, there's a reason why people keep playing those. It's the it's the kind of infinitely different combinations of, of moves and, you know, those kind of things that, that keep people going back to them. And I think... You know, I've had some great single-player experiences, um, but I find it interesting that we've both said that our summer experiences um, often 
you know revolved around around that multiplayer idea um and you know i was i wasn't a troglodyte when i was a kid i still went out and played football and still you know um played rugby and this is where the two of us differ i was a troglodyte um, yes. um, but you know and but this was the thing you did after that you know you went you went kind of home from the park and, and played games and uh and i think there's there's kind of a um I don't know. There's there's something because it's funny because I always think of like multiplayer games as quite innocent, which is hilarious now that you hear people effing and blinding across, uh, you know, throwing. Um, you know, I find out so much about my sex life whenever I play multiplayer games. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but you know, the, the weird thing is about that is it, that's also something that I I kind of don't like online multiplayer versus local multiplayer for is is people just get so so competitive and so yeah. angry and so offended that there's um i, I was talking to a, a guy that um uh, one of our clients uh, and he was talking about how much he missed land gaming because there was that kind of friendly smack talk but it never got to a point where anybody you know smashed the controller through a window and walked out and that's it i think i don't know what it is about being in the same room as people or with people that you're more familiar with that just it, re- it removes that element of of just host- like of just like aggressive hostility, yeah, which yeah. is something like that's the thing that I think that makes online because online gaming, like you mentioned with you know with doing Warcraft, it, it can be incredibly social, mm. but it also has the it also has the case of it can be just really toxic. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why I love playing Dota was my go to game at the moment. It's mm. People are probably well aware. It's one of the reasons I love playing with four of the friends on my team is that we then all have that. That you know, if one person's letting the team down, because that does happen sometimes, mm. it, it's fine. You know, it, sometimes it gets a little bit frustrating, but it's never going to turn into as aggressive as if it's three of us and two other people we don't know, mm. and one of those people feel like we're wronging them in some way, because it, mm. it just gets so so aggressive, and it, it, it does remove the fun of the game. You want games to be fun, but having someone you know, be really rude or just being angry. It does. It takes a lot away from it. Yeah, it does, and and I think as well the other thing that's really worth mentioning on that is so I think the re the, the fundamental reason why online is always more aggressive is weirdly humans have this thing where if you can see the person you're throwing your kind of offensive verbal tirade at, and that's hurting them. You can see that, mm. and you kind of reel it in. Um, you know when you've gone too far, but also ultimately, it's the you know, you're not yeah, responsible it's, for it, your. It's that thing of there's no knockout punch on the internet. It's why forums are horrendous. Oh, it's because disgusting. essentially it, there's there's no space for quick wittedness. So there's no, there's no kind of natural rapport. It's just basically somebody can go away for four days and think of the most offensive thing they can possibly say to someone. Come mm. back and just type it. Um, yeah. And this is, I think, topically relevant with the, um, in the aftermath of Robin Williams' death, with his daughter being like, driven off Twitter by just disgusting examples of human beings yeah, it's who, who are attacking someone in a time of loss. And, and I hate that. And yeah. my favourite thing, I don't know who, this is probably an internet quote, I have no idea who, who said it, but it was, I found it so funny that 
people can be whoever they want on the internet. So I find it strange that so many people choose to be a dick. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> and it is that you, you get that it's the it's the crowd mentality thing that's always had iffiness with human psychology, but but to a whole other degree that people are anonymous and they just choose to just be mean. Mm. I don't understand that. And, and I think it, so. You know, we're we're coming to the end of the podcast, and I feel, as per usual, we haven't been tangential at all and have stayed perfectly on topic. Um, I feel like we've we've moved in and out. <laughs> so again, um, if um, but yeah, you know, I think it, it's it's something worth mentioning. Is <clears throat> there, there have been in my lifetime many, many, many. Um, I, I sound like I'm choking up. I'm not. I'm just losing my voice slightly. <clears throat> um, yeah, in, in, uh, in my in my lifetime, there have been uh, many celebrity deaths, and it's really weird because Robin Williams' death is has really kind of affected me and my wife as well. Um, and whilst it's nothing to do with games, um, apart from the fact that he was a really big yeah. Well, he was a big, big gamer. Fan. Yeah, he was a big fan of games. <laughs> he named his daughter after a computer game, um, but um, you know, I, I think there was he was such a fundamental part of my childhood, and there are so many fond memories and kind of morals that I've had um, kind of bestowed upon me by by him and by his films and by the people who wrote those films that. Um, it really affected me, and I actually, it was funny because I was driving into work listening to Radio radio 4 because I'm cool like that, and um, they had the news snippet, and then I heard his voice, and I actually got really choked up, um, and I think, you know, I don't feel right that it's given any form of kind of public um, voice uh, that this week that I wouldn't mention him, and... Uh, I just think he'll be sorely missed. I watched Goodwill Hunting uh, with with Sarah last night as kind of a farewell, and um, he he was just an astounding talent. And uh, and like you say, it's so sad that people just don't seem to understand that depression is is a disease and is something you know. Like uh, there was a guy. Um, on Twitter was basically saying, you know, when people die of a disease, they blame the disease. When people die of depression, they blame the person. Um, and I find that really sad. And, you know, the fact that people have turned on the, on his daughter, who is, who is actually like our age as well. She's like 26, I think. You know, it's just horrendous. And I, and I think there is something about the internet that is so cutting. Um, and... With people, great power comes great responsibility. Yeah, you know, to, to quote Spider-Man. Um, it's but, uh, always okay to quote Spider-Man. <laughs> um, as long as you don't sing and flick your hair. Um, <laughs> but it is it is that really, really, really surreal thing of... Um, it's amazing how many phenomenal games are destroyed by their communities. Mm. Um, as many games are made, are made by their communities as they are destroyed. Yeah, yeah, no, they are. They really are. Um I think it's one thing about World of Warcraft that, that still, um, well, in fact, I haven't been on in, in years, but it was one thing that I always liked was, um, I always I always said to Sarah in a lot of ways, you, you know, it kind of mirrored the, the good and the bad of uh, of humanity, but one, th- one of my fondest memories was I went into Ironforge, which was uh, the dwarven capital city, and I said, I'm trying to find 
this place for a, for a quest. I can't remember where it was. Um, and I just put it into kind of global chat. And this dude on a horse just kind of rode past who was like a level 55 at the time. And was just like, follow me. And then he just took me there. And I was like, oh man, I wish real life was like this. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so, so there, are, there are kind of great communities out there. And they do I think it would be, uh, I think that would be quite an interesting topic to discuss actually. Because I've got, I've got some, some real tangents I could go off. Mm. Theories why certain, certain online gaming communities are so much better than others. Mm. That might be something quite interesting to cover at some point because I feel like it's it's a tangent too far at this point in the episode of summer gaming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which which for for the entire thing we've covered summer gaming for I'm going to say ten minutes. I'm going to put it out there. Um, but yeah, I, I I do agree. And um, what I will uh, what I think might be an idea is uh, for for the for this week we'll do um, half of the show interviewing Ollie and then we'll get his his opinion on uh, communities and you know how how they can make make and destroy games because i do think it's some you know a topic that's really worth talking about indeed <laughs> i concur did you just did you just light a pipe <laughs> uh, I, I, well no no but i have got my hand like on my chin sort of <laughs> thoughtfully stroking it does that count toby's just become the oracle that was amazing so, hmm, indeed. But no, so uh, a very, very tangential uh, episode. Um, but, um, you know, we can, uh, we'll, we'll be back on topic next week. Um, <laughs> One day we'll plan our episodes and you won't know what hit you. <laughs> no, we won't. Don't be ridiculous. Yeah, I know, I lied. Don't <laughs> promise things we can't do. <laughs> um, so, uh, we're going to go and play Dota. Um, and, and Toby's about to jump on a noob server, which, with a thousand hours of Dota under your belt, seems a little... Uh, how can I put it? Dickish. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to put this out there. The worst thing I ever did was Marchin, who, who, who works at Pilot Flicks, um, he got a Dota account. And the first game played off his Dota account was actually a game played by me. <laughs> so that's the worst thing, is when someone literally now hours of experience on the account has actually got someone playing with, probably at this point, about 700 hours of experience. <laughs> and... That game can't have been fun for anyone but me. <laughs> but, you know, at least you were a dick having fun. Exactly. Uh, like like Bon Jovi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, on that bombshell. <laughs> <laughs> on that bombshell, listeners. Um, so, yeah, so uh, thank you again, Toby, for joining us. And, and uh, so, yeah, so this week coming up, um, we'll have, uh, well, next week, seeing as though we are recording on a Sunday. Um, so next week, we will have uh, Ollie Clark uh, talking about LA Cups, and we will cover the topic of communities, dickheads or not. <laughs> uh, spoilers, they are. Uh, no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, we will see you next week, and thanks for listening. Good